readers how's everyone doing i hope the festivities have been keeping you busy and that you're enjoying with your friends and family and that you're looking forward to a new story from tales of teens i thoroughly enjoyed recording this episode and when you hear you would know why such an amazing leader and a, an amazing person as well although i was talking to this leader for the very first time it didn't feel like that and that's that talks a lot about the person the individual that he is so let's go and meet clarence Our guest today is originally from Ghana in Africa by heritage was born in Kenya grew up in Uganda and went to a British boarding school at the age of 10 he moved to Canada for university and became a citizen there he has worked in CPG and retail across various fortune 500 companies he has 10 plus years of experience specifically focused on process transformation project management consulting and digital strategy he also is a co-founder of a company called the pepe company which is into brand designs and brand strategizing he's also one of the board of directors of a fortune 500 company and as i was listening to some of his conversations on other podcasts it feels like he's a big hustler like there are hustlers and then we have clarence with unbelievable clarity in thought vision and an unshaken faith in kindness he's definitely someone to look up to currently director of integrated business planning supply chain reporting governance and digital strategy at Molson Coors beverage company please welcome Clarence Corku thank you so much what a what a warm introduction i uh, it's always interesting it's kind of like hearing your voice uh, on a recording for the first time and you wonder if that's really you so i think you you succeeded <laughs> in making me blush today <laughs> that's a good start i would say Indeed, indeed. Yeah, no, very, very happy to be here. I, I know we've uh, we deferred this a couple of times, so the fact that we're chatting yeah. is uh, is a testament to our our perseverance. So I'm really glad to be here. That is true. Yeah, thank you so much for joining uh, me today here, Clarence. Yeah, really sure. looking forward to this conversation. Likewise. All right. So let me take you back to your foundations and where you came from. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about how you grew up, how that has shaped you as a person and as a leader? Because we're talking about leaders here. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think you, you hit some of the high points. You know, I am. Um, you know, I think it was actually such a privilege for me. You know, growing up in in multiple countries. You know, across Africa. You know, as you mentioned, you know, both my parents were born and raised in, in Ghana, and <clears throat> were lucky enough to secure scholarships to go to the UK and. And so, you know, I have two parents who uh, both have master's degrees, one in psychology and an MBA. So, you know, I I think growing up, you know, I I really understood the value of education and and of hard work and, you know, <clears throat> my folks were very very much academic. Mm-hmm. And they were both entrepreneurs, interestingly enough, you know. My mother was a psychologist, child psychologist, uh trained and she had her own practice, and my father is a successful media entrepreneur. So, you know, growing up, I always 
thought about leadership from the perspective of leading from the front and leading from the back and leading by example and you know whether that was seeing them build their own businesses and practices or you know having staff come by the house and ask for advice you know for for me leadership was always professional and personal at the same time because they they always took a, a kind of broad approach to how they thought about it and you know pretty young <clears throat> I went to boarding school which at the time I thought oh, it was a punishment but as I as I look back was was probably one of the foundational elements of of my upbringing you know uh probably around grade 5 or around 10 years old uh, I went to a boarding school called St Andrews and um it was quite rural probably 3 hours away from the major capital city and it was a beautiful beautiful school you know I think about Hogwarts as the grounds but you know when when I was there you, you started to think about you know when you don't get along with someone you, you can't run away from that right sure. they are there every single day and so as i started to think about how do you deal with problems and how do you uh tackle them face on and build relationships you know i think a lot of that was instilled in me in a in an early age so i played a lot of sports i was a prefect i was a head boy if you know the british system you know these yep. are sort of leadership roles that you play and and you know pretty early on i realized i i had a natural knack um for for leadership and and actually just really enjoyed working with people and working through people so you know i think probably <clears throat> within the boarding school experience the relationship building and the conflict resolution um were, were two things that really stood out and then you know i would probably say lastly you know as i juxtapose living in north america as a as a black as a black man you know growing up in africa you know all of the visions and and images of success that i ever saw were black so all the doctors all of the lawyers all of the successful business people and so i think it kind of gave me a sense of the art of the possible you know i never believed that i couldn't do it because i always had examples of leaders who were doing it and so i think you know coming to north america i always had almost a childlike optimism around the potential that i could reach right Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. A few things that you just mentioned there kind of hit home so much with me. Uh first is the leadership is personal and professional and I so truly believe in that because you just can't being a leader you can't just have uh insights into one aspects of your team or or people that you're working with, right? You you won't be able to get the best out of them if you just know them pro- professionally it's you have to actually make those deeper connections to make an impact and like you said to work through them and get work done at times yeah no i i couldn't agree more and listen i you know i think you can't turn leadership on in the office and then turn it off at home you know i think yes. it, it's an extension of who you are and, you yeah. know i'm sure we'll talk about values in a moment but i think about what kind of values do you bring to the table and your values are intrinsic in who you are and they manifest where you are whether that's home or in the workplace so you know, that piece around professional and personal it, it really hits home for me because you know your leadership values are going to get tested in all areas of your life i think they just happen to manifest in the workplace often from a dialogue perspective but i think being a leader is is more than having a title in an organization i think it's about who you are and and how you interact with people for sure yeah yeah so true and i know that you know we've talked about this a little but you've come to hold pretty senior roles at a very young age uh which feels like a 100 meter sprint in leadership yeah. what 
what were the key principles that you that you think made it possible yeah no i i mean you know certainly feel very very blessed to to have been given you know lots of fantastic opportunities pretty early on in my career and you know i you know as, as someone who's faith based you know i always say that you know god's favor is has always been on me and i i think you know what people call luck i call favor but you know as i just start to reflect back you know i think <clears throat> you know pretty early on in my career i noticed that there's sort of two types of people you know, there was the individuals who would share and the individuals who would hoard information and you know when i I started out, you know, one of my first gigs was uh working at Target and we I was hired with a cohort of over 100 analysts all at the same time all looking to do the exact same job. So it was pretty difficult to to stand out. Right. And what I realized was people were incredibly competitive and there were some folks who would figure out a new tip or a uh, you know, new trick to get something done faster. They would keep it to themselves and they would get ahead and then that's great. And then you had the individuals who would learn something and share with other people and bring other people along for the journey. And I always found that was just more appealing and you know something my father taught me at a pretty young age was um if you can do something for someone and it doesn't cost you anything you should absolutely do it. And so, you know, I I think a couple of things. One, I I always was the individual to share versus hoard and what it allowed me to do is start to build um momentum behind my leadership. um without even trying because all of a sudden I had multiple people who um were coming to me for support uh, and and knew I didn't have anything in return the other piece was you know I really started to think about talent and you know I was lucky enough and and in my whole career to be surrounded by some very very smart people and and I often say I'm not the smartest person in the room I know no do I want to be the smartest person in the room but I but I want to be able to inspire and lead those individuals and so you know where my natural talent stopped is where my hard work came in and you know again another lesson from my, from my parents were if you if you get into work an hour earlier and maybe leave 1 hour later you get an extra 2 hours a day on everyone right and so you almost get an extra day a week and and that always was an interesting philosophy for me and so i i just try to put in a little bit of extra work and what that did was it helped me to catch up where my natural talent fell off but it also allowed me to work on special projects. So things that I was passionate about that were above and beyond the regular job and from a leadership perspective, you know, I started to think about how that impacted the people around me and it and I think it showed people that I was willing to go above and beyond but also help me differentiate myself. Um and then I you know, I I love the idea of branding. You know, I love the the power of reputation as well. You know, I think when you're in a room you can sell yourself you can uh, encourage people to think about things a certain way but when you leave the room you leave your reputation and so i was very intentional about building a brand a personal brand within the office right hey i'm the person who shares information i'm the person who works hard but i also like to play hard um i'm the yeah. individual who take a little bit of time to to listen to your challenges and and have an empathetic ear um and and so i think about that brand and how as i moved into new roles people knew my reputation and i think it it started working in advance of me um which was which was really good and then you know i had a lot of good mentors and, and advocates so you know i i was strategic in thinking about where i wanted to go and building a development plan and communicating the development plan i was very clear you know in some cases i didn't know what i didn't know or didn't know where i wanted to go but i was intentional about filling those gaps and asking the right questions and so i think the combination of you know 
sharing, you know, working hard, working a little bit extra, I think building a good reputation, you know, having good mentors and probably just communicating my intent. I think were all factors that helped me to um, leapfrog and then have opportunities where other people maybe w- wouldn't have been trusted with them. Wow, so much of great insight there. One thing that which really caught my attention is give and share when it isn't costing you anything. And that naturally uh, have people gravitating towards you because you you are this light, right? Who is giving light? So, so you become that natural reader in that space, which is which is projecting yourself as that leader and uh, and becoming a natural choice in, in certain ways. Yeah, no, I, and it's interesting. You know, the, the more I um, move around in my career, the more I depend on that as a kind of a core competency, and I think underpinning that is authenticity, right? And mm-hmm. The reason I say when it doesn't cost you anything is because really, I mean, you sometimes have to give when it will cost you something. But the reality is it kind of speaks to your authenticity. And, you know, again, that point earlier around, you don't switch on leadership, you know, at the office and switch it off at the home. It's what kind of an individual are you and how do you bring that to uh, your style of leadership? So um, I've always just said to myself, if you can make other people better and you can help other people, why not? And ironically, I find the best leaders and the ones that inspire me the most are those who are able to bring a lot other people along on the journey versus seeing it as a myopic sort of individual journey. Right. No, that's true. I think that, as they say, the, the best way for you to grow is to get people grow with you. You know, it's, it's like natural push upwards. Yeah, completely agree. Yeah, and no, I completely agree with that. Yeah. And you mentioned about mentors and finding the right mentor, I feel is so very important. Do you have some tips on how to go about it? Because a lot of people uh, struggle, I feel like, especially in India, the whole concept of mentorship and advocacy is, isn't really, um, I think, followed to a great extent. I think the mentor as well as the mentee sometimes struggle to find that the relationship right, I feel. Do you have any tips to share? Yeah, you know, I, I think the reality is you can learn something from everyone. And, you know, oftentimes when people approach the idea of mentorship, they think, hey, I'm an analyst, I want to be mentored by the senior VP. And they think about it from a hierarchical or more from a hierarchy perspective, I can never say that word. And so I've always thought about mentorship around connection and you know there's certain individuals you meet and you you just connect with them right and so I found my best mentors were people who I just genuinely enjoyed and respected Um, and there were individuals who often had an open mind towards mentorship so you know not everyone wants to be a mentor to be very candid and I would say not everyone is a good mentee and so I think I tried to identify individuals who were naturally willing to share and who naturally had an inclination for, hey, you know, follow up with me, I'd love to chat more. And so almost thinking yeah. about, you find individuals who who want to from a natural perspective. And I think that's the beginning, but I think the most important thing is about how much work are you gonna put into it? So I've been a mentee and I've been a mentor and I found from both ends, the best relationships happen where you're giving. So, hey, do you have an agenda? Are you gonna send it in advance um, to give that person the sense that you are serious, but also the opportunity to 
help you the best that they can. I mean, you know, oftentimes these individuals, you know, will be in more senior roles and maybe more busy. And, you know, oftentimes I think about, you know, how do I make sure that I'm getting the most of this one hour or the most of this 30 minutes if I'm a mentee? And so, hey, I, I'm curious about these things. Can we talk them through? So that's kind of number one. And then I think number two is the follow-up, right? And, you know, if they say go do something, actually go and try that out. Um, Right. And, and then I think the other piece is it's got to be um, reciprocal, right? And so as a mentor, you want to be learning things from your mentee and then vice versa. So once you have that person identified, if you're a mentee, you may think, hey, I have nothing to offer this individual. But is it new perspectives on how people, um, you know, in your cohort are thinking about things? Or, hey, maybe you think about um, scenarios and you challenge each other. Hey, how would you approach this situation? You go back and forth. So thinking outside the box when you do find a mentor and looking for ways for you to add value to one another, uh, I think are really important factors that, that can kind of take it away from being a paper academic exercise and one that's more personal and productive. True, true. And would you say that when you haven't been able to build that connection, maybe move out of that relationship? Because ultimately, like you said, it has to work both ways. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I, I think that anything you try to force in life, probably you okay. shouldn't be pushing for, right? And I've, I've always just felt things that happen naturally are often things that have an element of longevity. That's not to say that you shouldn't put in an effort, but if you are paired with someone and you don't feel that connection or you, or you don't feel that effort, um, you've also got to respect your own time and say, hey, you know what, this isn't really working out. And I think you know, as we talk about leadership and, you know, a big piece of that is being able to embrace conflict and mm-hmm. being able to get clear feedback and, you know, setting the parameters up early and, hey, here's what I'm looking to get. What are you looking to get? And as you go through, if it's not working out, you can still maintain a positive relationship with someone, even if you are ending the formal mentorship portion of it. Um, and then it's interesting because mentorship can be formal and informal. You know, I have informal mentors who probably don't even know that they're my mentors and I observe what they do. And, you know, it's it's more about me observing and watching and asking periodic questions. And then I have more formal mentors who I meet on a cadence basis and have dialogue from that perspective as well. Wonderful. Well, thanks for sharing that. Uh, that brings a lot of clarity, at least, of the way you would approach mentorship. Okay, so if you were to go back, Clarence, and look at some initial experiences in leadership, is there something that stands out, like a like an incident or a story that you could narrate, which has been kind of instrumental in giving you confidence and and identifying your own style? Yeah, no, it's it's a good question. This is probably a plethora of examples one could choose. You know, I you know I, I think back to when I was. Um, you know, I was doing my MBA and uh, and I was working at the same time because I'm like glutton for punishment. And, uh, you know, I was joining a new organization, a CPG company, and they, they brought me in um, somewhat like an internal consultant uh, working on helping them to optimize elements of their sales and marketing organizations. So it's a super fun, I got my alarm on. It's a good thing I'm not sleeping. This was just in case I missed the interview. So I'm glad I have it. <laughs> 
<laughs> and so they brought me in to kind of optimize elements of the sales and my marketing teams. And so, you know, when I jumped in, uh, I didn't know anybody. And, uh, you know, my, my leader was not in the country. So I was really only one of two people in the division who were physically in country. And so I was, I was really excited. And, you know, this was a, a leadership, this is a leadership example where I didn't have direct reports. So I had to lead through influence versus authority, which is, this is always really fun. And so, mm -hmm. you know, I, I quickly jumped into the analysis, trying to figure out, you know, where were we wasting time? How could we make things better? And, you know, we quickly discovered that, you know, our salespeople were sending probably 30 to 40% of their time doing just straight up administrative tasks, which, which was probably not very productive and frankly, quite frustrating for leadership but also for the individuals who were brought in to sell and, and frankly were being paid significant money to sell. And so, mm -hmm. you know, I came up with a recommendation to outsource some of that work to folks who were probably better suited to handling it and it was an offshore team. And in order to figure out, you know, what was that work, we had to dig deep, right? We had to do job task analysis, you know, fishbone analysis, and really ask people, how are you spending your time? And what, what we realized was there was a lot of individuals who had been in these roles for a long time. And so the productivity level between people varied. And uh, I would say some people were coasting, uh, not doing much, and other people were working really hard. So, mm -hmm. you know, when I came in, people got very, very nervous. And they started asking questions, hey, am I gonna lose my job? And you know, are you trying to make me obsolete? And we had people from sort of different age demographics with different perspectives on uh, what is offshoring of work and, you know, how does optimization benefit you? And, you know, I was still pretty early in my career and I was trying to figure out, hey, well, what's the right thing to say? And so I spoke to my leader and, and I said, hey, you know, should we should we be honest? And should we say that we're looking to outsource work or, or do we create an allure that, you know, has people believe we're just doing this as a sort of routine analysis and you know i, I commend my leader because they said i'll make i'll let you make that decision okay. and you know at that point I, I really had to think about you know sometimes as a leader doing what's right and doing what's easy um are, are two different things and mm -hmm. you know I, I put myself in the shoes of the individuals i was talking to and i realized that we were probably about 50 percent through the project and I needed to build trust and I needed to build confidence. And I thought about what kind of a leader do I want to be? And so I, I set up a, a meeting with, with probably about 20 of the cohorts and I just had a very frank conversation with them. And I said, hey, listen, I'm the new guy and I don't know what's happened in the past, but here's what I'm looking to do. And here's the remit and control that I have. And here's my objective, which was really to help them to sell. And I was candid about the fact that there are people who may decide they don't want to be part of this new regime. And if that's the case, you know, there's options for you as we think about packaging people out with early retirement. Um, but I said, if we don't figure this out, there's potential for the whole ship to sink. And I think though it wasn't a message that everyone wanted to hear, I garnered a lot of respect from them because I was candid. And I think that respect ultimately helped them to trust me and give me the information I needed to do the analysis. You know, from a long-term perspective, what was actually really good is I got to know some of these stakeholders. There were some folks who were frankly ready for retirement, wanted to move on to something new or something exciting. There were other folks who actually wanted to switch roles and thought this was a good opportunity for them to do so. And so you know, I'm not gonna say everyone is really happy and I'm not gonna say that everyone ended up staying in the organization, but from a long-term perspective, I learned a lot about who I am as a man, as a person, and 
how I think about authenticity and leadership. And, you know, I think I commend my, my boss for letting me make the call because for me, that was really foundational. And, and today when I'm faced with, with tough challenges, I think about authenticity. I think about putting my feet into the shoes of other people and where I can share, I, I, I like try to share more. And I try to give them the insight behind the actions that we're, we're taking. And so you know, that for me sticks out because as I look at my leadership style and I talk about it as servant leadership and I think a little bit about authentic leadership, um, the foundations and the roots of that, I think really started when I had to make that call. Right. Well, that's a wonderful story and a testament to the fact that leadership is less of a role and more of an attitude and you can shape yourself as a leader by just by just your attitude and and being yourself um, your authentic self is so very important would you agree yeah I, I mean i couldn't agree more i mean you know at the foundation again i, I always go back to my father because he's probably one of the most brilliant entrepreneurs i know and, and he, he once said to me people want to do business with other people they like and that's always struck me because look you know what you may be the second or the first the best person for the job and i just really really struggle working with you and someone else is the second best person for the job but we get along and we jive i'm probably going to pick the second best person because they can still get the job done and i enjoy working with them and that's not to say you only need to work with people you enjoy working with but i certainly think the way you approach um, relationships and the way you approach business is very much personal. And I think having a positive attitude and an attitude of gratitude, as well as thinking outside the box and pushing yourself, your leadership to me is such a mindset. And I think when you can tap into that right mindset, it doesn't matter as much what your title is or how many people report into you. And, you know, I, I always tell people that I mentor to think less about leadership as seniority in roles and more about the behaviors that you can inspire. And I think as you get more senior and you have larger remits and spans of control, it just shines a light to a greater audience on what you've already been doing. And, you know, I, I always tell the story when you're, when you're looking for a promotion, you know, I always say, it shouldn't be recognition of the work that you're going to do in the new role. I think it's a reflection of the fact that you've already started to operate at a higher level in your yep. current role, right? And, and I think about that leadership-wise where, you know, don't worry so much about, oh, I want to get to there. It's, it's about, hey, how do you start to embody the behaviors of leadership today versus via your attitude so that it gets recognized and then actually appreciated tomorrow? Yeah. Something just caught my attention, Clarence, when you're talking about working with people that you like. There's also this, um, I would say, rather new concept of bringing diverse workforce uh, and not just diverse in ethnicity, but just diversity of opinions and personalities and and include them in all the conversation. How would you kind of juxtapose that with what you just mentioned and finding people that you like working with? Yeah, you know, I think when we talk about, you know, enjoying or liking to work with someone versus juxtaposing this notion of differing thoughts, you know, to me, it comes down to respect, right? And, and, and I, I think at the end of the day, I may really like you and I may respect you, but I might disagree with you. 
and that's okay. And the ability to embrace that that friction or tension is actually where I think sometimes the best ideas come. So, you know, I don't surround myself with yes men or yes women. I want people to challenge my notions because to my earlier point, I'm not the smartest in the room. So, I I agree with that philosophy. I think you need to be bring people in who are going to challenge the assumptions, who can look around the corner and maybe see things that you haven't seen. But ultimately, at the end of the day, you got to come to a decision or a level of consensus to move the business or the initiative forward. And so where you disagree, can you do so respectfully? Where you disagree, is there a foundation of of um, respect and authenticity and a personal relationship there or enough that you can concede or drive your point forward? So so I, I do think the two can coexist. I think when you look at from a long-term perspective, some of the best organizations, they bring in people from diverse backgrounds to be able to challenge that status quo. I think the important thing for me is do you have that mutual respect to allow you to whether you agree or don't agree get to consensus because ultimately, you know, sometimes you can be challenged by analysis paralysis and the back and forth and and I look yeah. being a leader is also conceding, right? And being able to say let's try it your way as a as a way to figure out if you're missing something. And, picking and choosing the times where you have to make a call on your own or where the situation is such that you can try something new and something different and see what the result will look like. Yeah. That is so important sometimes just to say let's try your way. I think that's Absolutely. very important. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And creating the space for that too, right? Yeah. And you know I mean how do you yeah. build a culture where people are okay saying I call BS on that, right? Yep. Okay. So what have been some of the toughest moments for you when you were leading teams and and how did you work through those? Yeah, gosh, there's I feel like there's a tough moment every every single day. It's um yeah. you know, I think the hardest thing for me is is um probably trying to control things that I don't have full remit over. So you know, I you know, I was leading a team, you know, not too long ago that was focused on executing projects, right? A kind of a project management group and um we we you know, I always think about projects, you know, as an organization, oftentimes we have infinite desire and finite resources. And you know, there was only so many um there's only so many people um yeah. to do the work. And, always and, Yeah, in many cases people were a little bit overworked. They were a little bit frustrated, you know, they weren't getting things within the appropriate time frames and you know people cried out to me and they said, "Hey, we need help. We need more resources." And you know, in some cases, you know, despite going back to the well, the organization just just wasn't in a place to to give those resources. And so, how do you go back to your team after saying you'll support them and not give them, you know, ultimately what they've asked for? I think that that's been really a challenging element for me as I think about a really tough moment and and again it goes back to authenticity right just being very frank with them but also articulating a plan so you know I I never left the 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 meetings with my leaders saying yep I'll just take it I I said all right here's what we're going to do we're going to have to prioritize cuz you know what I, I care about the people and I'm not going to overwork them so what's a nice to have versus a need to have you know though I wasn't able to get the resources it, it took a little bit of time we did get them but in the meantime we prioritized and we were really militant with that prioritization we were very clear about the escalation paths and you know I, I thought look I'm going to be candid with the team and and I think that helped obviously 
the ability to prioritize and help them to escalate quickly was another piece. And then I just was really radical about celebrating their wins. You know, I was like, listen, if I can't get a budget to get new people, I will make sure we take people for dinners when they succeed. You know, I would do the little, the little things. Let's get some donuts in in the morning. And look, that's not the make or break, but how do you control the controllables within your power where you can show the team that you're one of them? And then sometimes that meant rolling up my sleeves and working on projects as well. Um, and, and that kind of one team, one dream mentality, I think solidified the relationships and the bonds. And I think that kind of carried us over while we waited for the resources that eventually arrived. Right, right. One thing that has really worked for me is democratizing that problem solving process, you know, get the team together to do it and, you know, like brainstorm and come up with solutions rather than really finding the solution myself. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I mean, look, the, the best ideas often are not coming from the senior leaders, right? They're coming from the people yeah. who are in the trenches getting the job done. So, you know, creating spaces where people can share and ideate, I think, is key, but equally important is empowering those ideas to the point we made earlier, right? Um, I may not fully understand or even agree with something, but if the team is passionate about it, let me take the time to understand it and let's give it a trial and maybe in a, in a safe space where it's not going to completely slow the machine down. But oftentimes, you know, my ability to implement things were starting with a pilot and a test, you know, showing results and then building momentum from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, true, true. Okay, I want to digress a little, Clarence, and and this is uh, from the podcast that I heard. Uh, you talk about life balance, and and a lot of times uh, we say work life balance, and say it's just life balance, and that that I feel is like a tough fact when you have when you take increasingly senior roles and complex roles. Could you talk to that a little bit? Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny. I, I, I always say to my teams, I don't believe in work-life balance. I believe in work-life integration. And so that philosophy is work is part of life and life is part of work. And absolutely, I do advocate for creating separation. But here's the reality. The, the more senior you get in, in organizations, the, the more demanding the needs are. And I mean, it's just, just a reality. And I think when you embrace that reality, you start to realize that you need to carve out a path for how you manage your time. And for me, sometimes that means getting home, having dinner, watching some television, and then logging back on later on. And sometimes from a life perspective, you know, it might mean, hey, you've got to leave work a little bit early because you have your kid's soccer match and you really don't want to miss it. And so being able to create a sense of integration between work and life is really important. And then being able to set up boundaries. So, you know, I, I had a leader who, you know, she was really adamant about her kid's soccer games, right? And it was just, everyone knew it. And it was really important to her. And so, you know, every Thursday she would leave at 3.30. It was just something people knew. And she would get her job done, absolutely. But, you know, really from the most senior leaders to the analysts on the team, we all supported her in this. But we did so because she set an expectation. And she would always make sure she delivered. And look, if there was a critical meeting, she would attend that. But she really made sure that 
that she protected that time. And I've always been inspired by that because I think we set the boundaries we need to set. And ultimately, you find a way to work within the parameters of, of the time that you have. And so that idea of work-life integration, you know, when I think about, you know, a good example, you know, I had a leader, he, you know, he would send emails at midnight on a Sunday, but he had no expectation you'd respond. Right. It was just the only time that he had or the appropriate time that he chose to send them. So for me, it's about understanding how do you integrate work and life? How do you set up the right expectations for the people around you? And then how do you live by those? And, and so when you do that, you can create balance, you know, to say that as you get more senior, you may not work as many hours is probably a lie. You know, I think more increasing responsibility can take more time, um, especially as you have teams. You know, I believe in creating time for my team. So, you know, in some cases you'll find you're in meetings all day and you don't have time to, to get the work done and maybe you have to do it at home a little bit. But then yeah. I also say that you should manage your calendar and not have your calendar manage you. So when I block time, I block time and I am not responding messages. And, you know, sometimes if there's a problem, you may have to figure out how to resolve it on your own. And in, in those blocks of time, I need to get certain things done and, and I'll emerge. And when I emerge, we'll work through a challenge. And hey, if you made the wrong call, hey, that's OK, because I'm not always going to be there to shepherd you. And so it actually allows for empowerment of people as well when you take a step back and you're not always there to handhold them. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a it's a great way to even build new leaders, right? To be able to make those decisions on their own. Absolutely. And I, I encourage it because I think part, yep. part of the journey of leadership is allowing other people to try try the shoes on and see if they fit. And you know, in my mm -hmm. story, that leader was was probably in a very good place to make a call and say, Hey, share it or don't share it. But I think they recognized that I needed to make that decision and it's been foundational for my uh, framing of leadership going forward. So, you know, how do you think about ways that when you're in a position of, we'll call it leadership from an authority perspective, how do you delegate some of that to your people? And I think you called it out earlier when you said the best ideas, you know, come from other folks and how do you solicit the ideas from other people and then give them the power to go out and present that idea and kind of shine the spotlight on them versus trying to yeah. take that quote unquote glory for yourself. Yeah, exactly. And then, and then I, I feel like they own it. They have better conviction on what they're going to talk about and deliver. So it just works both ways. Yeah. And then they grow ultimately. Um, yeah. You know, you're not going to start at 100% day one. But, you know, I've always thought about how do I create opportunities for my direct reports and my staff to interface with senior leadership? You know, how do I create opportunities? If you're not comfortable, you know, doing public speaking, you know, you don't need to be a Steve Jobs, but hey, if it's on your development plan, I'm, I'm going to push you. I'm going to challenge you to say, I think you should present this, not me. Because mm -hmm. I, I think a, a true sign of leadership, uh, especially when you have direct reports, is less so about what you can do and more so how you empower your team. And so if you're an individual contributor and you're a great presenter and you now become a, a leader of people, can you inspire your people to build those skills? Or if you have someone on your team who's not very analytical, they want to get better. For me, a better reflection of my leadership is in a year or two years time, have they improved? And so your benchmark or barometer for success becomes less about you and more about 
working through others and what you can do through others. And you've got to give people opportunities to shine so that you can shine and so that ultimately the organization can build the next cohort of, of leaders. Absolutely. Well, this has been such a wonderful discussion, Clarence. Uh, any parting thoughts? Yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed the conversation. I'm, I'm glad. Hopefully you'll have me back. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, I think for me, you know, a couple of things I've said earlier, you know, I, I think you've got to find your authentic brand of leadership. And, you know, there's tons and tons of more academic information available about how to do that. But I think it's, it's a personal journey. Um, personal soul search of who do I want to be when I grow up, and then the, and I think looking at it from a childlike perspective is is often the best way to go. And you know when I look at this notion of leadership, you know really being able to be authentic with yourself and the people who are around you, and just being willing to fail. Um, you know I've done a lot of different roles, I've moved to a lot of different spaces, and um, I think I'm I'm okay failing. I I really am, and I think. Anything that by society standard might be perceived as a failure for me is just an opportunity for me to learn and grow. And, you know, whether it's learning what to do or what not to do, I, I look around and I try to seek knowledge and seek something from everyone I interact with. And I think if there's, if there's a parting thought I can leave people with is just add value to every room that you enter. You know, think about what mm -hmm. you can give, less so what you can take. And, and if you do that, I think you've got a really, really bright future ahead. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, on that note, Clarence, uh, thank you so much once again for joining. It's been such a pleasure. Uh, and definitely, I would like to have you back sometime in the future. But thank you so much. Now, the pleasure is mine. Thanks. was so awesome. I hope you all enjoyed that wonderful, wonderful conversation. There were so many great takeaways. If you are trying to figure out how to work with your teams and how to become a leader that is really sought after. To listen to more such stories, follow us on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts. And if you have suggestions, on who you should see on this podcast, you can write to me and I will surely reach out and bring them on the show. So let's hear from you. Until next time, keep leading. <laughs>